You're listening to What Book Books, a podcast where we have conversations about the important books in the world. I'm Brock Kelly, and thanks for listening. In this episode, I talked to Christina Sinzenbach, who grew up reading in a restaurant. She went on to a career in sciences and ended up becoming a later reader because So, Christina, what book hooked you? Okay, Brock, I've been thinking about your question the past couple days. Because <laughs> um, I, I get asked this question or similar questions a lot, you know, like what what was your favorite book growing up or what's your favorite book of all time? You know, I'll, I'll get asked that in interviews or by students at school visits. They always want to know that. And um, I, I was a big reader as a child, so I have lots of books that meant a lot to me, a lot of favorites, um, like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or The Witches or The Secret Garden or Little Women. You know, all of those books were were really meaningful to me. Um, and those are the ones that I usually mention uh, when I'm asked. But the, but those are not the books that really hooked me in the way that I think you're asking. Um, and the reason that I don't ever tell people what the real book is that hooked me is because I think it's really hard to say the name of this book without sounding uh, either pretentious or like a show-off or, or I don't know. Um, because, but since, you know, we have longer to talk about it, sure. and I can tell you tell you the story behind it, um, I'll tell you the real, the real truth. Excellent. This will be like expose. <laughs> um, so the book that hooked me when I was 10 years old uh, was Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. And, um, and so now you can see why I'm hesitant to, to say that, like at a school visit to tell sure. fifth graders that my favorite book of all time is this 1600 page French novel. Um, but, but I'll, I'll tell you why. And, um, uh, you can guess that I did not read the book when I was 10 years old. I'm not like a pr- child prodigy or anything like right. that. But, um, at that, w- when I was 10, I think this, it, it must have been like the height of Les Mis fever in the U.S. at that time. Like I think the the musical had just come out in on Broadway, or you know, or maybe it was touring um, at that time. And I I think that's probably why my mom picked up the book and she was going to read it. Um, we were taking a trip to Thailand. Really, so my, I'm half Thai. And we would take regular trips over there to go stay with them for a long time. And this is the 80s. So there was no, there's like very little American television. Once we got over there, you couldn't find any books or magazines in English. And so I'm the only um, American kid over there. And I would burn through all of my books really fast. And um, my mom would tell me that if, if I would just leave her alone long enough that she could read Les Mis during the day, then she would at night tell me everything that she had read. So she started uh, telling me the story at night. 
Um, and so you have to, you know, appreciate the genius of my mother for a sure. minute here, that she like would get me to quit pestering her long enough that she could read all by herself and have some quiet time to herself uh, with the bribe that I'd get to hear the story in the evenings. So during that trip, she told me the whole, she finished the book and we got through the whole story. And, you know, she, I'm sure, skipped over lots of the, lots of it. And especially like, you know, all the prostitution and other <laughs> too mature topics that a 10 year old shouldn't know about. And um, I was I completely hooked on the story and the characters and all the intricacies of it. And then when we got back to Texas, um, we, she took me to go see the, the musical as a surprise. And I was, I was so into it, you know, I already knew, I already knew this story and now I was going to see it on the stage. And, and then <laughs> when we saw it, um, I distinctly remember this moment in the second act when, um, Eponine comes out on stage all by herself and she is played by an Asian actress. And that was, so I grew up in a small Texas town, cowboy town, only Asian kid pretty much in my whole school. And then think about all of the books that I had loved to read. Little Women, All the Rolled Doll, Little House on the Prairie, The Hobbit, all these stories. They had never had anybody in the books that looked like me. And and then, of course, you know, it's not like Victor Hugo wrote uh, an Asian character into his book at all. But seeing somebody on stage playing this character that I loved in a story that I loved that looked like me, I, it was like, like shocking kind of, <laughs> um, I, I remember it really vividly. And I, I, after we saw the play, I was determined I was going to read that book for myself. Um, and I tried, uh, you know, every, probably every year I would pick up the book and try to read it and I would never get very far because it was not an easy read at all. And it wasn't until, um, high school that when I was just about to graduate that I managed to pick it up and I found that I could read it and I could, and I read the whole thing and, um, and could get through it. So that was like an eight year journey to read this book that I had been dying to read and, and whose story I really loved. Um, so that, that's the story of the book that hooked me <laughs> or the story that hooked me. Um, yeah. And you know, pe people always say, oh, you, you got to read a, the book is always better than the movie. Um, you got to read the book before a movie comes out. And I, I never would have read this novel, I don't think, if I hadn't experienced it in different ways. If I hadn't experienced the story, um, you know, as it's like first oral storytelling from my mother and then as theater. Um, so it's it was very. It definitely, out of any story out there, impacted me more than more than any other one. That's great. Now, you've already sort of mentioned, you know, a bunch of books that you had read, you know, when you were a kid. And the fact that your mom, you know, was telling you the story of this book. So I guess it goes without saying that, you know, growing up, you know, books were readily available for you and you were eager to kind of pick them up. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, that made all the difference. That is what made me a reader. It was having books around all the time. Um, my parents owned a restaurant. 
So we, the reason we lived in a small Texas town was because we went there specifically to start um, a Chinese slash Thai restaurant because the town didn't have one. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, when your parents own their own business, they're always there. I was an only child. And there's just long days sitting behind the cash register like you don't have anything to do. Um, and and so I would always have a book. That was the only thing I could do. So, I mean, I, I read tons of books, <laughs> pretty much anything I could get my hands on. And so when you when you say you were always at this restaurant, you that was pretty much you were probably there in your waking hours more than you were at your actual home. Am I right? Yeah, I I mean, I remember being there all the time or going to, you know, restaurant supply stores and having to buy boxes and boxes of napkins. <laughs> yeah, they they started the restaurant when I was three and it was still there. And so I I spent so much time there, either reading a book or when I got old enough, I started working the to go order taking to-go orders on the phone. <laughs> and probably all your homework was done on the counter or, or in a, on a booth or... You know. Yes. Yeah, I totally had a booth. Had a booth, would go, after school, go there, do my homework, take my books, make it, make... I, I had access to the soda fountain as much as I wanted. <laughs> it was like this kid's dream. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And so... <laughs> It's and it looks like from the books that you've you've mentioned, Charlie and Chocolate Factory, Secret Garden, Little The Hobbit, uh, Little Women, that you re read pretty broadly. It was more or less anything that you could get your hands on. Were you going? Were you doing a lot of visits to the library or buying these books? Um, the library is across the street from my house, so I yeah. uh, I went there a lot. Um, yeah, you know my my. Mom, she she was ahead of her time. Um, there, there's a lot. I think there, there's a lot of great work right now amongst educators and librarians being done to just get books, get children to read books that they love. So you know, um, Donna Lynn Miller, the Book Whisperer, and and she's you know leading the charge amongst um, teachers and librarians to just let kids fall in love with reading, even if that means they're not necessarily reading what they're quote supposed to be reading um and my my mom was very much like that she you know I, I would read classics we would read those together but I also she let me read comics if that's what I wanted to read um she would make sure that I had those there was a period of time in the seventh grade where the only books I read and read over and over again were um Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy and Even Deeper Thoughts by Jack Handy. Like those were my favorite books. Mm -hmm. And I just read those jokes like over and over again. So just, yeah, anything I could, could get, I would read. And so you're this avid reader. And did that follow you all through then high school? It sounds like because you mentioned that's when you finally read Les Miserables and then even in the college. Yeah, I, I. I did. I, I kept up reading, you know, finally getting to read that novel kind of like broke, broke a barrier for me where I felt like, oh, if I, if I can read, if you can read a book that's 1600 pages long, you can read like anything. And, um, and so I, I started reading more adult fiction. Um, I, I, even though I was a big reader, 
you know, I did not um, ever think about majoring in literature or anything like that. To I, I don't know if um, so. I went to school. I went to college to be an engineer. Um, so math, math and science. That's what that was my calling, and I've always really liked math and science. So I, I always thought that reading and writing and literature is going to be like what I did on the side as an outlet, you know, and I was going to do math and science for my career. Um, and it kind of turned out to be a little bit more of a twisty path, all, all tangled up together than I thought it was going to be. When did it come that literature, that hobby arose to the point where you wanted to try to write yourself? Yeah, I, this is, it's, uh, I got into it by accident. Um, and I, growing up, um, when I was a student, um, this whole idea of a, a growth mindset that, you know, if you want to do something, you can work hard at it and achieve it. That was not around. It was much more like, oh, if you're good at math, then that's what you should do. If you're not good at math, then that means you're not a math person. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we don't tell students that anymore, but that's what it was like when I was, when I was in school, maybe you remember that too from school. Um, you know, taking like aptitude tests and things like that. So I I had just been trained to think, well, I was a math and science person and writing was hard for me. I, I would write, you know, um, for school, like creative writing. And it would just never in my eyes, it would not, it was not good. And I was under this impression that it was a gift you either had or you didn't have. And I just took it for granted that I did not have it. Um, so I would never considered being an author or that I would one day write stories of my own, even though I loved books that much. Um, and so the way I got into it was by accident. I, it, I was, in my late twenties and, um, we took a trip to visit my nieces. So my, my husband's brother had two little girls and we, we went to go and stay with them. And I, I fell in love with my nieces and, and we were playing together. We were playing make believe and magic and I was telling them stories. And, um, I, once we got back home, I wanted to keep in touch with them. I wanted to keep up this relationship with them. And I had started telling them a story while I was there, just like a little tiny like nugget of a story. Um, you know, they were two sisters. And so I came up with a story about them, that there were two sisters, and the littlest sister gets kidnapped by fairies, and the big sister has to go and rescue her. And so when we when we left them, I wanted to keep that story going as a way to keep in touch with them. So I would write the story for them in a letter. I, you know, I'd type it on the computer and I would send it to them. And then I would just send them a little bit of the story every so often. And because they were young, they were young kids, sending them little tidbits of what happens next every couple weeks. Um, and Maybe in the very, very back of my mind, I was thinking, you know, I'm writing, I'm writing a novel here. This is like I'm sending them chapters, but I wasn't super serious about it at all um, until until we got to the end of the story, the end of their story, and um, 
And I thought, well, maybe I have enough here to make it into a book. And by then, um, I had started kind of like investigating SCBWI, so the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. And um, I, I had this completely serendipitous meeting. I was working at the Austin Children's Museum. So that's why I, I, I became an engineer and then I left engineering to become a science educator. So I was working developing science exhibits and programs at the museum. And I had this meeting um, with a chemistry professor, and we were going to talk about some chemistry event we were putting together at the museum. And he came in with a big stack of papers in his laptop, and he had been working on some stuff. And he had um, a, like a, a, a book, a kid's book in the stack. And I looked at it and had his name on it. And I was like, did you write that book? And he was like, oh, yeah, you know, this is what I, I, I'm also a children's book author. And I was like, I can't believe you're a chemistry professor and a children's book author. Like, how did you get into that? And I ended up telling him the whole story of how I had uh, written this book for my nieces, but I didn't really think I could do anything with it. And he encouraged me. He said, you got to come to this meeting. We all get together and we meet at the bookstore and we talk about about." the publishing world. And, um, and so that's, that's how I got connected with those people and started taking it seriously and started really working on the book, um, and revising and revising and revising the book that would eventually become the changelings. And so that brings us to the changelings. Uh, give me a brief synopsis and you sort of already did, but you give me a brief synopsis of what the changelings ended up being about. Yeah, so it's about an 11-year-old girl whose little sister goes out to play in the woods one day, and she disappears. And her her big sister doesn't know what's happened to her. She's been kidnapped and taken into the world of fairy. And so uh, the the big sister has to go and figure out how to rescue her little sister. And, and she teams up with a group of changeling kids, so shape-shifting kids who have to work together to get her back and to save save all of them <laughs> and save the, the world, pretty much. And so, you know, we already heard kind of what was the spark of this idea. What then, from the time you were writing those letters to your nieces to, you know, where it was just recently published, what was the, what was the timeline of that? Oh, my gosh. Um, 10 years, 10 years for it to go from idea to on the shelf. And, um, you know, I, now the book came out in September, so it's not even been out a year yet, but I've been going and doing school visits, which is one of my favorite things, getting to talk to kids about books. And, um, most of the visits I do, the students are in fourth or fifth grade. So when I tell them 10 years, there's always a kid in the audience who's like, wait a second, I'm 10 years old. <laughs> and I'm like, I know. It's taken the whole span of your entire life, the lifetime of a human to get this book on the shelf. It's crazy. And so what was that 10 years filled with then? Um, well, the first book I ever wrote. So you can imagine that the first version needed some work. Right. Right. Um, 
So I revised it a lot. I had people reading it, um, you know, beta readers reading it. I started querying literary agents and got lots of rejections and then decided to revise it again based on those rejections and then finally did find a literary agent who wanted me to revise it again before we submitted it to editors. So just a really long process to actually uh, get it get it into good enough shape to send to editors and to get it bought, you know, that took several years. And then, and then once a book gets bought, once a publisher buys your manuscript, it's usually about two years average, I'd say before it hits the shelf for most people. So just that is just kind of getting in line and waiting for for your turn to get on the bookshelf. And, you know, you were kind of, maybe reluctant to be a writer, or at least it didn't, didn't seem like it was something that you had always thought of uh, when you viewed yourself. Um, during this kind of span of 10 years, were you were you ever thinking, you know, this is never going to happen or this is, you know, ridiculous? Yeah, I definitely thought that a lot. <laughs> um, and I, I don't know, there's, I think there was something manic about um, my process because I was working full time. I had just had my first child. So we had a baby and then I was working on this book. So in some ways I kind of, it was just, life was too crazy for me to dwell on it too much. And for me to even go there in terms of like, Oh, this is just never going to happen for me. Um, I just kind of kept, kept pushing at it and not I just didn't have time to like fall too much into the despair of it's never going to happen but I definitely would have those days every time you get a rejection it's just crushing um, no matter what what stage you're in Um, I I don't know I I think I I had both thoughts of I'm definitely some somehow going to be published and and then also thinking it was never going to happen. What do your nieces, who are now probably what in their teens or twenties, what do they think that now that this story is is out for there for the public? <laughs> yeah, they're they're teenagers now. Um, I I think they're very happy about it. Um, I think they're really proud. It's dedicated to them. Um, I think they. I, I know that they love that they got to see it first before it hit the world. Um, they still have all those original letters that That's I great. sent them. They they kept them in a binder. And um, it's just so, so sweet. Um, and then it, I just, the, the sequel to The Changelings is called In a Dark Land. It'll come out in October. So while I was writing that, before I even sent it to my editor, I sent it to them. So they've gotten to see it before anyone, like even my editor. I, they think that's really cool, yeah. you know, that's special, a special relationship. So you went to college to be an, to an engineer. That's what you started off at. What what made you decide to leave engineering and go to where you're, you know, interacting with students and and teaching them about science? Um. Yeah, I I. I got into that through volunteering. I was working at an engineering firm and I volunteered to work at the children's museum 
was doing some science event and had always loved museums. They were my favorite places growing up, all sorts of museums. And, and when I was there and working with the kids, it just, it was one of those moments where you're like, oh, this is really what I'm supposed to be doing. You just felt like, you know, this click. And so I, I did, I left my engineering job and took like a way lower paying job uh, at the museum being a teacher for one of their programs. And I went back and got my master's in science education. Um, and I still do, uh, you know, I'm not working at the museum anymore, but I'm still working in science education as a, you know, I do consulting for different nonprofits and, and other programs and things like that. It's still a big love for me. Um, I, you know, I, I'm still love math and science. I'm still totally geeky in that way, even though I've started writing as well. Have you had any thoughts on how to sort of marry those two at all? The writing and then your science? Yeah. I mean, I have thought that if I could figure out how to crack, <laughs> uh, writing about science, I mean, like, you know, people always tell me like, you should get into that because of your background. Like it would be perfect. I'm like, I know, why don't I do that? That would be it would make so much sense instead of writing these books about like magic and fairy tales. <laughs> and they, they don't really seem to have much crossover yet, but, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty slow writer and I have only been able so far to write whatever comes into my head. And so far, um, there hasn't been that many stories, uh, about science that have come into my head. There is one picture book that I'm working on that's science related, um, but I, it's still in its infancy, so I'm, I won't talk too much about that one. And so <laughs> now that you're an adult, uh, you become a writer yourself. Uh, what is your reading life like now? Oh man, I can't ever read anything. <laughs> <laughs> I think that has more to do with being a parent. I need right. to figure out, I need to figure out what to do, how, how my mom did that. I guess I'll have to wait a little bit longer to tell my kids, like, if you just leave me alone, I will tell you this story. <laughs> um, you know, I, I have a four and a six-year-old, and it seems like by the time they're in bed and we're settling down to go to bed, if I pick up a book, I just fall asleep. Right, um, right. But but I do still do do still love to read and try to make time for it. There, there was a time um, before my book came out that that – I told myself, I guess I probably had read somewhere that I needed to read all middle grade because that's what I was writing and I needed to know what was out there and I needed to, you know, immerse myself in that world and that voice. So there was a chunk of time when I was just reading middle grade books, which was great. I read a lot of good books, but I, I then I realized that I just, the thing that's going to help me most as a writer is to read books that completely sweep me away as a reader. And then I still need to read books that I purely enjoy and don't dissect for, you know, as like a, a text that I'm trying to learn from. I just need to have pure pleasure as a reader that that's, I, that's necessary for my well-being. <laughs> so I, I've since since I figured that out, I've read more adult books, which are, you know, they're, I love reading middle grade. Um, but 
I, I, I'm still, um, it's so important, I think, to read all sorts of things and just really whatever inspires you, um, even if it's Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy. Right. Maybe I'll look that up again. <laughs> do, do you think the 10-year-old sitting in the Thai restaurant uh, would like the books that you're writing now? Oh, my gosh. I hope so. That would be so <laughs> sad. That would be that would be a really depressing thing to go back in a time travel machine and and find out that my ten year old self rejected my own book. <laughs> um, I think I have a suspicion that my ten year old self would like the books I write because I feel like that's what I'm tapping into when I'm writing them is my ten year old self, I, which I feel like is like my true self. <laughs> I think that's why I write middle grade and not you know, young adult or adult, I really feel like if you peel away all the layers and get to who I really am, uh, it's still my middle grade self more than any other, more than me at any other time is that 10 year old self. That's great. Now, a few questions as we sort of wrap up. Mm -hmm. First one, uh, what is your favorite movie based on a book? One of my favorite movies that I believe is inspired by a book that's amazing. And I, I'm thinking about this movie because it's kind of related to my book. It's about a, a little sibling that gets kidnapped and the big sister has to go and save the little sibling. And it's The Labyrinth. Yes. And, yes. I, and I believe that and The Labyrinth is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, and I believe that it was in part inspired by um, a Maurice Sendak book that's called Outside Over There. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's a picture book. It is, I highly recommend it. It is really creepy, totally not like any other children's book. You know, Maurice Sendak. Right. Of course, you write these books that nobody else could get away with. Um, and it's it's a really lovely little creepy story. That's great. Next question. What sort of classic piece of literature, some book that's highly touted, uh, well, like widely read, do you absolutely hate? Ooh, probably The Catcher in the Rye. That one did not resonate with me. Um, I feel like there was this time when everybody who was cool uh, as a teenager or, uh, you know, in college was carrying that around in their back pocket. Um, and I, I could never, I could never get into that book. It just did not, the voice didn't hit me where it was supposed to, I guess. And then finally, what is the last great book that you've read? Um, I just read a great middle grade book, and it's called Hoodoo, and it's by Ronald Smith. Um, it's set in the South, and it is a Southern spooky novel at its best. There's, um, you know, like, Southern folk magic. It's uh, this young African American boy who's dealing with with shades and spirits and his own magic abilities. And it 
it literally made me have goosebumps. Uh, that one was great. Very good. Well, Christina, thank you for sharing your story and, uh, and uh, you know, your journey through the books and how you became a writer. And I wish you all the best. Thank you, Brock. It's been a real, real nice conversation. That does it for another episode of What Book Hooked You? Special thanks to Christina Soon from Vod for joining me. Be sure to check out her book, Changelings, and be on the lookout for its sequel coming out soon. If you like this episode, be sure to check out some of the others I have with book lovers and authors. I'm Brock Shelley, and until next time, keep reading.